Hello and welcome back to the Under Pressure podcast in a historic week in Australian sport. With the AFL Grand Final leaving the state of Victoria for the first time in the history of the game. Joining me to discuss that and a whole lot more, like he always does, Jake Barker. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here as always. Very, very exciting exciting news for, for all Queenslanders out there and probably not Melbourneans, yeah. but yeah, it should be really good. When the news came out earlier this week that the AFL will be announcing it on Wednesday, I went, okay, that's great. We've probably been expecting it for a, a few a few months now. and But I've got to admit, when I heard the news was official, it was a bit sad, which I wasn't expecting that feeling of emotion to go seeing that tradition lost, albeit for a very reasonable reason of the safety of Australia and Victorians moving it. But it was just a bit sad. I could certainly agree with that. It's, it, is, it is a little sad that it has moved to moved to Queensland. But as you said, it, it is only it is only for the for the year. So hopefully hopefully we'll be back and back and ready for, for next year's grand final. But yeah, all all's not lost. But it's uh, good to see someone else have a go. Might be a tester for yeah. maybe future years. <laughs> hopefully not. I'm really happy that it went to Queensland, given that they've done huge amounts of work for the AFL this year. I thought it was the obvious and fair choice. And I think the opportunities it, it has to grow the game in, in Queensland is huge. And I think it, it could be a benefit that we could see for decades to come. Certainly, yes. Couldn't agree more with that. It, it's, you're right. It's, gonna, it's hopefully going to build build the game up there in Queensland. It is a bit on the, uh, the lighter side, obviously, at the moment with, I mean, well, the rise of the Gold Coast Suns is pretty good now, but it was a bit rocky at the, bit rocky at the start of the year. But now with everything sort of happening through Queensland, there's more people paying attention to AFL in, in that state. So it, it's, it's really good. And hopefully, as you said, it, it benefits Queensland for the future. And dare I say, it could create the opportunity in 10, 20 years' time for a third Queensland team. Definitely not next year or in the next 10 years, but down the track with so much more interest in the sport of this generation and just gets snowballed year on year. Who's to say there can't be a third Queensland team in 2040, 2045? Yeah, I'm sure that, I'm sure those people in uh, Tasmania and Northern Territory will be uh, fighting for that one too, Matt, so... I'd say yeah, maybe, maybe, after, maybe another, after them. I agree with you, but I was just saying that the effect that this could have is huge. And I will say, I do feel for the, uh, particularly the people of uh, WA who lost out on a test match against India earlier this year to the Gabba. And they've now lost out to an AFL grand final to the Gabba again. And I get why they're angry. They've got, Probably the best stadium in Australia. It's definitely the most modern, futuristic. It's got all the bells and whistles. It can hold more people than the Gabba, yet it hasn't been able to attract probably the two biggest events it could have hosted this year with the a test match and a grand final, given the circumstances that have presented itself. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly right there. It's it's a little disappointing for those the, the citizens of WA, and as you said. Optus Stadium's a, a, a really look, really good looking stadium now, and it's hopefully one that's going to be used a lot more in the future. I hope with uh, a whole lot of sports coming down, we use the use it for cricket a bit more, and hopefully in the future they'll get some more 
more revenue out of out of Optus Stadium. They are hosting the uh, the blockbuster test this summer between Australia and Afghanistan. So they haven't lost out completely, but the money that they would have been able to bring in to the West Australian economy with a Australia-India test compared to a Australia-Afghanistan test is a substantial lesser amount with Afghanistan. And I, I would be pretty sure that they'd be pretty upset given the facilities they have are significantly better. I think the correct decision was made given the heavy lifting that Queensland have done earlier this year. I think they had to go there, but I can understand why the West Australian people are disappointed. I think in both those cases, the correct decision was made. Australia want to win a test match and they haven't lost at the Gabba in about 30, 40 years. So they obviously want to start series there and get that series off to a flying star before going to the Wacker, which is still a relatively new venue. Admittedly, Australia hasn't lost there, but they haven't had many opportunities to play on that wicket yet. So I can definitely understand it, but I do feel for them. The Gabba's nothing excites me more than the Gabba wicket. It's probably the best spectacle of a test match in Australia. Certainly. And I think it went down to the fact of the longevity the Gabba's been around and, and for both sports of cricket and AFL, I think the longevity played a, a, a bit of a part in there. I'd say it was all of the reasoning, but it definitely would have played a part as up there transitioning from the WACA to Optus Stadium the last few years. So definitely in the future, we can see more things at Optus Stadium, but I think the longevity of everything that's been happening at the Gabba is quite big. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a night grand final, which I'm really excited about. I, I've been probably caught being a little bit more proactive with the night grand final than you. I think you're you're a, a very much a traditionalist, but I'm really excited to have seen the grand final played at night. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, as you said, yeah, definitely more of a traditionalist myself. But I think it will it will bring a lot more could bring a lot more people to watch it, and it it's it's worth a try, I guess, in in, in this context. And- so. And they couldn't do it in the day because they couldn't um, run at the same time as the Cox play. Uh, that was one the, the main reason why they've gone tonight, um, to satisfy they don't want to clash between the Cox play and the AFL Grand Final. And given that it is the day that the Cox plate is supposed to be on, they should get priority access to that time slot. But it's with it being a night Grand Final, it has the potential to be the biggest sporting event in the history of Australia with more viewers than ever before because you're going to have the state of Queensland heavily invested into the game, particularly if Brisbane Lions can make it, particularly then. And then you've got all of Victoria who might still be in some sense of restrictions and more viewers. I think Channel 7 will be licking their lips at the potential TV ratings that they could have. For sure. It's, it's going to be a huge grand final, I think, and a lot of people... I don't reckon know that just yet, but I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's definitely going to be one of the biggest, for sure. I reckon the AFL possibly could have tossed up doing it the week before without having the five five before finals, but I think that the right choice was made in having that five before finals and then having the game at night on the same day as the Uh, From memory, and this is going back a week, I think pretty much every side was in favour of the, uh, the bye before the finals. There was from mem- there was I know this club opposed to it, 
and I don't think there were many others, but uh, Geelong were the only side to oppose to the uh, the week off, which many have suggested that given that they've been pretty ordinary after weeks off in the past, that that was their reasoning. But that bit hasn't been confirmed, but they did want to just get the season going and finished. Moving on, there have been a few contract extensions today and during the week. Yeah, so funnily enough, over today or yesterday, Charlie Dixon has signed for a further three more years at Port Adelaide after I reckon it might have been a week or two ago that Mark Rusciuto spread out a rumour that he would be would almost be definitely leaving to a team in Queensland. Sparked a bit of controversy, obviously, because Rusciuto's still involved with the Adelaide Football Club and Charlie Dixon's from Port Adelaide as well. So I'm sure I'm sure Rue will be uh, licking his wounds after that, certainly. But it's good to see Charlie Dixon's playing some really good football and has almost certainly earned those those three years and that contract as well. Also, another another signing, not from a player side, but from a coach's side. I reckon we mentioned this maybe almost a month ago now. We weren't sure if it had happened yet, but now it has happened. Leon Cameron, the Giants coach, has had his contract extended for another two seasons. Personally, I was a bit surprised by this, considering then. Certainly no lock for a finals position. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? Yeah, I, I actually think I've got a little bit more information than you on it. Um, to be honest, I wasn't surprised given that the contract had been agreed to in principle earlier this year. But the reason why it hadn't been signed was they wanted to get his salary right with the soft cap restrictions. And they wanted to make sure that they could get the staffing levels within the soft cap and with Cameron so it was just waiting for that to go through I personally believe that I don't know if Cameron's the man um, they had to resign him because they had agreed to it but I, I agree with you I, do, I don't think it's the right decision for that club moving forward he's getting up to close to 10 years at the club by the time that this deal will end and if you're at a club 10 years the senior coach, you, I would expect you to have won at least one premiership. To get the pass mark, I think if you're there 10 years, you need a premiership. I guess you could say they've made prelim finals and that is a success. And they've made a grand final as well. But I think for 10 years, you almost need a grand final. And it'll be interesting to see at the end of this contract how we view his time at the Giants, whether it's successful or not. Certainly right. He may have been given a little bit of leeway, a little bit of rope at the beginning of his career as he took over from Kevin Sheedy as the inaugural head coach. So he may have been given a little bit of rope there, but in terms of what you were saying then, he certainly want to do something within the next couple of years and they certainly want to be playing a lot better than they are now. It'll be interesting. I, I, I think Cameron's a good coach, but he just hasn't been able to get it out of these boys to get to that ultimate step. It'll be interesting. And... It's definitely a side that I am watching because he's got the keys to the Ferrari. Let's see him drive that Ferrari. And we're now going to move along to golf. And it was a fascinating final round in the 2020 BMW Championship where US golfer John Ram sunk a 66-foot birdie putt on the par 4 18 hole, which was the first of a sudden death playoff with uh, Dustin Johnson which was world number one v world number two in the the golf rankings. And the putt that John Ram hit was a 
foot birdie putt. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube, watch it. It is a phenomenal putt. And at one point, the ball comes down the hill literally at right angles to do it. it it's a phenomenal, phenomenal putt. It was a really interesting round for uh, or, or tournament for John Round because he forgot to uh, mark his ball on the green on one hole, I think on day two or three. For those of you that don't know golf, when you're putting, you can pick up your ball and clean it and you put a coin behind it to show where it is. I've played golf at local clubs across Melbourne and whatnot for years. I have never heard of someone who has forgotten to put a marker down on the ball. It's pretty much like putting your shoes on to play basketball. It's like, like that's funny, but that's how it's just, simple it is. It's, it's just something that you've got to do every time you do it. Yeah. It would be almost. It would almost be putting on clothes to go out in public, like mm. it's that simple. It, it, it beggars belief that he forgot to do it. Imagine if he it, he got a one shot penalty for that. Which if he didn't get that penalty, he would have, in theory, have won in regulation. It was great to see him win. It was a great part. Strongly encourage you to watch it. Probably one of the best sport moments, sporting moments I've seen this year. Just a shame that there wasn't a full crowd at the, the 18th hole to see it because they would have gone off. I was going to say that the crowd would have certainly given a huge roar if there was if there was obviously able to there see was, crowds. But if it was of no, no, normal circumstances, stance, it would have been crazy. Certainly, yeah. I couldn't agree more with you there. I mean, you, hear the, you see the great putts over the years and how, how much difference crowds can make obviously they need to be quiet but when that when they can feel the ball coming close to the hole and it's about to go in that the intense the intensity that's about to happen is 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 quite crazy so yeah doesn't mean it wasn't a great putt though yeah no it's one of the best putts i've seen and you want to talk a bit about netball now i believe yeah just a quick just a quick little bit of news as it happened a couple of hours prior to us doing the podcast a current player has actually hung up the beer but i'll say it, and has retired from netball effective immediately uh her be- her name being manny brown she's been around for a long time now starting off with the melbourne kestrels in 2006 and all the way till now with the Collingwood Mag- magpies in 2020 she she's played 61 caps for australia as well for the aussie diamonds and been a integral part of that team as well she won a gold medal in 2014 in glasgow and a silver medal in 2018 in the gold coast she's currently been playing for the magpies this this current season and obviously had some issues with with her knee as she tore her acl last season she was actually going to hang out the hang out the boots at the end of last season but she hadn't had the chance to play with her sister, Kelsey, who'd come down from the Sunshine Coast Lightning yet. She wanted to get to the start of this season and play some games with her. And now that Kelsey's also injured for the rest of the season and Maddie's been out the last couple of games with a bit of knee soreness, she thought now's the right time to hang up the bib and, and be done with playing. She was a fantastic player, played in that wing attack and centre position for her entire career. And she will certainly be sorely missed for the Magpies and certainly for the Aussie Diamonds as well. Yeah, she definitely will be. I'm obviously not someone that was hugely into netball. 
but it was definitely a name that was familiar with me from a distance in netball. So now we're going to move into a bit of a sport that hasn't had much coverage with either of us, really. And, and it's a bit surprising because we're both fairly big fans of this sport, but it's sort of gone under the radar and we haven't really taken much notice of it over the past past couple of weeks and certainly the last past couple of days as it's only just begun and I don't think I've watched a single game or, or set whatsoever. So it's the US Open, obviously, tennis, and I haven't even thought about watching it. It's been a bit been a bit blah as of late because there's been a lot of seeds obviously pull out of the tournament there's some very high profile uh, women actually not playing from the top 10 I think it was about it was six of the top 10 women's players were not playing in the tournament and a bit less bit less of that for men obviously you got Roger Federer and Nadal not playing Djokovic is, is playing so he's the number one seed in the men's draw but yeah, there's certainly not as many names as, as there usually would be. And it's a little disappointing, but it is good to see that they've, they've got things going and, because I certainly missed the, the French Open and certainly Wimbledon in that middle of the year. Uh, my, Wimbledon's got to be one of my, if not my favourite tournament of the season. So I was a bit disappointed that that didn't get going, but certainly can understand why. But it's good to see tennis back out there, but I haven't had the motivation to watch it. What about you, Matt? I honestly could not have cared less, if I'm honest. I don't know if there's so much other sports with footy on pretty much every day. Formula One's back in a very condensed fashion. We've got cricket just about to come up with Australia's tour of England, shifting my focus away from tennis. But I just haven't even thought about even watching a match. You look at the men's seedings, the top seven seedings cover the top 10 in the world and then the 32nd seed is 38th in the world it just hasn't engaged with me at all and and you look at the women the 32nd seed is 46th in the world there you've lost a lot of top end talent and we we obviously have in the past talked about oh, is this an asterisk afl season and that's a discussion we're going to actually have next week on the show very quickly but with this tennis tournament i absolutely think there will be an asterisk on it yeah I've, I've heard a lot of people say i watched sun sunday sport or sport sunday last week and they had todd woodbridge on there and he was he was very adamant that he was that this tournament would not be an asterisk and i, I sort of I, di- I do disagree with him a little bit there's not there's obviously not as many high profile players there and i feel like it's not as prominent as it was in previous years and that's certainly the case with current climate but I mean, he he's he's allowed his opinion, I'm allowed mine. So we'll, we'll see we'll see where tennis is at towards the end of the year, and hopefully they can get sorted uh, sorted with a and yet, tour finals. Hopefully, yeah. And we've already had players have to withdraw after testing positive. Oh, there have been other sports that have got started that are global sports like Formula One, MotoGP, and they've been really engaging. But it's just I don't know what it is with tennis. I don't know if we're on the sour because we haven't really enjoyed the Novak Djokovic stuff. Obviously, he's now created his union, his previous tournament. I don't know what it is, but maybe tennis is just a bit on the nose at the moment. And that's why we're not watching it. Because whenever I look at a story about tennis, it's not a very positive story. Yeah, there there obviously hasn't been a lot of noise about tennis as, as they did pretty much completely stopped playing for, for a long period of time there. And with tennis, there's got to be some consistent, 
consistent playing. Otherwise, sort of the, the focus on them sort of goes off and people lose people lose interest a lot lot easier than, than with other sports. So I think COVID's definitely hit tennis really hard and they're just trying to build it back up slowly. But starting with a uh, Grand Slam is probably not building it up too slowly, but I'm, I'm glad they have started to play. And when you've got the two greatest tennis players, arguably, to ever play the game in Roger Federer and Rafa, and then you've got Australia's top two players in both the men, or the top, our top players in both the men's and women's draw with, uh, I was about to say, Samantha Stoza there. I don't know why I got um, Ash Barty and Sam Stoza mixed up, but I did. Um, but when you've got Nick Kyrgios and Ash Barty both saying, this is not the time to be going to New York to play tennis, we're not going to play and be very critical of the tournament. I guess that's just now mindset as Australians that maybe it's not the time to play tennis. Yeah, and, and so they're certainly allowed to have their, their opinions and they're certainly well in their rights not to play either in, in this current climate. So, yeah, I have no issues with um, anyone pulling out. Uh, it should also be said that a couple of Australians have uh, participated in the tournament, including the 26th, uh, sorry, the 21st seed, Alex Dimonor, and John Millman is also playing, among another, a couple of other Aussies as well. But moving on to our under-pressure teams of the week. Now, I'm actually going to go with a bit of a different one. Obviously, we've always tried to keep this podcast about what's happening on the field and not so much in the boardroom. But my under-pressure team this week is actually the Cricket Australia board as Channel 7 wants out of their BBL contract for not just this year, but for all, for the remaining four years they have on their deal. And this this is probably the biggest story, apart from the grand final in Australian sport at the moment. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, Channel 7 paid huge amounts of money to cover the cricket and both Test and Big Bash. And uh, Channel 7 earlier this year tried to give, uh, sell Channel 10 the rights to the Big Bash. And Channel said, said no, nah, we don't want it. And the reason why no one wants it is because this year it's going to be a bit of an interesting tournament as the Australian Test team and one-day teams are virtually going to have to have two 11s ready to go. So one team is affected by COVID, the next team is ready to jump in there and play. So you're, you're, instead of taking the top 12 players from Australia, you're now taking the top 24 it's also going to be very hard to get some of your international players to come back and play given the travel restrictions. So that takes the two players, arguably the two best players from every team, who are the internationals. You might still be able to get a Rashid Khan because he's touring with Afghanistan pride in the Big Bash. You might be able to get a few Indian players to stay behind after the test team. But apart from that, it'll be very hard to sign those players and Indian Indian players are restricted from joining the Big Bash as well. So you've, you've then lost probably, on average, four players from each team. So then you go to the next four on the list and they're not going to be as good because there are more Big Bash teams than states. So the sides are getting weaker. And Channel 7 has said, we would like some money back given that this tournament won't be as good as it normally is, which is pretty fair. Don't you agree, Jake? Yeah, I can certainly see why, why they would think that, but... 
I mean, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting when it, when it all comes around, and they've obviously got the the fixture and whatnot already. And I, I certainly, I really don't know what's really, what's going to happen with it all. It's I'm certainly left very much up in the air, as I'm sure a lot of people who are aware of this story are. Yeah, and that the weird bit is, Cricket Australia have admitted that this tournament themselves, this tournament won't be as good because there'll be less players, and we're just going to have to wear it. If they're admitting that it isn't going to be as good, I think that's a very fair enough reason for Channel 7 to say, hey, can we have a bit of money back? Because remember, this is year three in a six-year deal with Channel 7 and Cricket Australia. And I've heard some journalists during the week, including um, uh, Robert Crash Craddock, saying Channel 7 won't even consider signing extensions to that. Once this six-year deal's done, they move on. They won't be coming back to Cricket Australia Channel 9 was done with Cricket Australia when their last contract ended. They didn't. They wanted to do something new. They were upset with the direction that Cricket Australia was going. And then Channel 10 was furious as they thought they were going to retain the rights to the Big Bash for this contract period. But literally at two minutes to midnight, they went with seven. So Cricket Australia has somehow managed to upset all three major networks in Australia. And normally when you upset one... The other one's really happy. Yeah, Cricket Australia somehow managed to do it to all three. Then you've also got the element of, at the end of last year, everyone was saying, we need to have the Big Bash shorter. It was too long last year, and by the end of it, we were pretty much already over it. Cricket Australia have made the tournament longer this year, so they're not listening to the fans. Channel 7 is furious, and when the AFL condensed their season where Channel 7 lost games to broadcast during the year, they got they adjusted their deal with the AFL. They're just wanting that same thing by Creative Australia and they're refusing to budge. And if Creative Australia is not careful, the Big Bash could only be on Fox Sports and KO at this rate, or it could even go to SBS and the ABC. It's a at the moment I don't see Channel Seven airing the Big Bash. I think the relationship is almost beyond repair looking from the outside. What do you think, Jake? Yes, it's certainly one of those things is if you're right with, with the networks, it's if, if you annoy one, usually the others are happy. And I'm sure people at Fox Sports would just have that wry smirk on their face, I think. And you could be right there. The Fox, obviously Fox hosts part of the Big Bash, if not all of the Big Bash as well. And I, I think that they'd, they'd be loving the chance to get every game purely on their terms. And it wouldn't faze me too much personally, but it certainly would be nice for those who don't have that Foxtel or KO or something like that to have it on free to air. And I'm sure Channel 9 and Channel 10 will swoop in at some point if something doesn't get done. So Fox Fox also want a reduction in the payments, but they haven't been as, I'm going to say nuclear with Cricket Australia publicly, but I think Cricket Australia at the moment, they don't actually have a permanent CEO. They've got um, a temporary CEO there's a lot of problems at Cricket Australia at the moment and I feel like this is just the start and what I think Cricket Australia have done so well over the last 18 to 36 months since Cape Town and Sandpaper Gate is they have completely repaired their image and at the moment it's not the players that are making the Cricket Australia's image look bad, it's the board. They've already sacked their previous CEO or he resigned, I can't remember what the optics were there, but if they're not careful. The work that the players have done to repair their vision, their appearance to the cricket watching public will be completely destroyed by the boardroom. 
with their complete inability to give the fans what they want. Many people have said they've killed the Golden Goose, which was the BBL. I thought last year's Big Bash was the least entertaining instalment so far. It was just too long. I, I didn't care for it at the end. We can't attract... AB de Villiers wouldn't come to it because he can, for a similar length tournament to the IPL, he can earn $1.5 million going to the IPL and he'll only earn maybe at most 100000 for coming to the Big Bash. It's, there's issues there. I'd, I'd be happy if each team played everyone once and maybe they go back to the eight-game format that they had a few years ago. I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be lost if they got rid of the, the home-and-away format, personally. What, was the, what is the current layout of the fixture? Do they play each other twice or three times? Or Everyone, everyone plays everyone twice, whereas previously everyone would play each other once. And the two Melbourne clubs and the two Sydney clubs would play each other twice. And the other four teams would play one of the other four teams twice. I, I Personally, I'd prefer it to go back to that format. It'd be a bit shorter. And I, it's just too long. It's funny that, that that was the issue coming out of last season and that they have extended it. I'm with you on that, on that feast to change. I think having it the, so that you play change- an extra game against your rival or whoever it may be and add that on to maybe be eight, nine games. What they did was this year was instead of starting just before the Boxing Day test, I think they're starting the tournament a week or two earlier while people are still in school. So they said, we can wear the loss in ticket sales there and get the TV audience there because they notice in mid-January, they start to lose viewers. So they're trying to get more viewers earlier on before they lose it. It's, it's an interesting tactic. I... I get their logic was smart, but it just wasn't what people wanted. People just said it's too long, and I tend to agree. But you actually want to talk about this um, St Kilda Football Club for your under-pressure team of the week, Jake, I believe. Moving on from cricket. Yeah, it's certainly not one of one of the most under-pressure teams, but I felt like the pressure that they've felt over the last few weeks and the pressures that they're going to be feeling in the next couple of weeks warrants them to my under-pressure team of the week this week. Unfortunately for the Saints, they've lost three of their past four games, all being it to some pretty some pretty decent teams this season. They, they went down to Geelong in this period and they went down to also Melbourne last week and Brisbane. So some fairly good teams there and they're coming towards the end of the season and they've got all the more of the top eight teams to come as well. So this last seven to eight weeks is has been and is going to be very difficult for them. This this current week is obviously a huge week for them. They've got a big chance to get a huge win against Hawthorne, who were absolutely putrid on Tuesday night against Adelaide. So there's a big chance for them to consolidate their spot in the eight. Because if they go anywhere near a loss in that game, that that's that's all I would almost say that they, they may miss out from the teams that they have to play after them they've got the eagles the week after which i would say the eagles albeit it is in brisbane so they do probably have a chance not in perth i would say that they'd be certainly out of that but it being at the gabba they it might give them a bit more of a favorable edge there but the eagles will be primed and ready to go certainly and what i think will come down to whoever wins plays finals against the giants in the very last game of the season for both those clubs and it's certainly a lot of pressure they've had a few players that have been a little little out of form as of late. They're obviously 
been missing Hanavery, who was ruled out about a month ago with with his knee injury. Oh, sorry, with his hamstring injury. Brad Hills probably under underperformed a little bit from his time being in Fremantle. Obviously Hawthorne, he'd probably want to pick up the pace towards the end of this year. Paddy Ryder's form sort of coming back with uh, obviously they've got the two ruck stocks in himself and Ryan Marshall. They've been working well over the past couple of weeks. Dan Butler went a bit quiet there for, for the last last three or four weeks. So you'd hopefully see him kicking more goals and he's obviously up the top there in that in the in the column medal in that be about in the top ten I'd say. So he certainly had a good season, but he certainly wouldn't be happy with his past three or four weeks there. So with the Saints it's it's more or less that they just need to start picking up the pace now. They're, they're a good side. They do deserve to play finals. It would be disappointing to see them drop out of that spot because I think the, the St Kilda fans have waited a long time and ever since the uh, that 2010, 2010 season, they have been waiting for this day to make finals and they do deserve it. They've, they've worked, worked hard. They've got a lot, a lot of young kids, a lot of new recruits and they've certainly gone right with Brett Ratton and, yeah. They remind me a lot of Melbourne in 2017. That was the year that Melbourne missed out by essentially two goals on percentage in that sense that they were in that top half of the ladder all year, all year, and then when it came to the crunch time in the last few weeks, they just melted. I hope that that doesn't happen to them because I think they deserve, they definitely deserve to be there. But I'd also feel bad if they miss out on a game where they, we couldn't definitively tell if Christian's Petrarca goal was a goal or a behind. Like, that would be a heartbreaking way to go out because with the technology that they had available there, I think the correct decision was to stand by the umpire's decision on the goal. But it would have been great to get the clarity with a couple more camera angles to confirm whether it was a goal or not. Yeah, certainly. And obviously they had that at every other ground, but they were trying to take the game up there to TIO's stadium in, in Darwin, which was, which was a great spectacle. In Alice Springs. I thought it was TIO. Was I wrong there? No, it was Stranger Park in Alice Springs. You got you were thinking of the uh, Essendon Richmond game. Ah, there you go. Well, yeah, certainly was a great spectacle I... wherever it was up there. But yeah, it, it, sometimes you gotta you gotta take one, and the AFL's gotta take one on that for not having all the right cameras there at the at that at that ground. But they did do they did do a good service there. Yeah, and yeah, I think uh, they, I think their other concern that they had was they dominated the the whole game. In my eyes, they neither side played well. I want to make that clear. Neither side played well during the week, but St Kilda, in, in my mind, were the better of the two sides. They had better. They had forty-six inside fifties to thirty. You should be winning pretty much every game with a differential that big. With inside fifties, they were more efficient with the ball. So personally, looking back at that game on the weekend, I actually thought St Kilda were the more in control team from that contest against Melbourne. I thought both teams were not playing at their best, but it was just the key moments that Melbourne were able to control. And when I say Melbourne, I mean Stephen May and Christian Petrarca, who I think were ultimately the difference between the two teams that day. But neither team played well. I actually thought St Kilda deserved the four points more that day, but it was just a bit unlucky given the differential that they had and I, I do hope to see St Kilda in that top eight moving forward. But that will do us for another show. Thank you so much for listening. Please like our show on your preferred listening system as that can really help us out. 
And until next week, we'll see you on the next.